Hello and welcome back to Cruising Through History, Season 3, our first episode of Season 3. Once again, we're going to cruise through some history. I'm sitting down with Scott Cruz. Scott, where are we cruising through today? Well, I thought I would talk about Leonardo da Vinci. He's come up in a few of our podcasts, actually. But I thought I'd talk more about his science side. Okay. And his engineering side than the artist. Oh yeah, because he was also he was also an inventor, wasn't he? I, I he, see he, things about it, but I don't he, hear a lot. Yes, in our um, podcast on the history of flight, we talked about it a little bit, and that's sort of how this idea started germinating in my head. Because mm-hmm. I thought, well, he came up with all these kind of neat flying things. Some worked, some didn't. And I thought, and I know he's done a lot of other stuff too, because I've read a few books on him. And so I thought, I don't think people realize how much he did, though. How And, and yes, some of his inventions were on paper only, because <laughs> mm-hmm. at the time, I don't believe you, you could have done them. But what we're finding in the future now is that, well, we're not in the future now, but in the present day, others are sort of replicating some of the things, and they're finding that these things worked. Um, and so... I thought, what an interesting, uh, uh, I mean, he was, he was, you know, they always say Renaissance man. Well, well he, he sort of defines the term. Yeah, so how, how did Leonardo da Vinci get to this point? We know more as an artist, but mm-hmm. where, what was his life getting here to where he's an artist, an inventor of things that were only on paper? How, how did he get that education? Right. Well, it's interesting because I, it, he started uh, studying under a painter and sculptor, in Florence, Italy, named Andrea, Andrea Verrocchio. Now, Verrocchio was interesting in himself because he stressed that if you were going to be an artist for him or work under him, you had to know anatomy. So he would have you draw muscles and, and all these sort of detailed, of top, what was called topographical anatomy, which was the outside. And he actually had plaster casts of different... Uh, anatomical features like hands and feet that you could study to draw the detail of. And I think it's from these. Also, Leonardo's very detailed. But he wasn't like a trained mathematician or he didn't know Latin. He didn't go to university. So he basically, his whole thing was observation. His eye was basically the thing he used. And he was able to draw so well. I mean, I think he already had the artistic talent. He was able to describe this stuff so minutely, and I think he learned that in the beginning under Baraki, and I think it kind of just sort of went from there. He was a very astute study of studying nature. Birds, Mm -hmm. which we've talked about, dragonflies, which he really liked. Um, Water, he was very obsessed with studying water because the spirals it would make, the pools, how to use water. So... So hydrology was one of his big things, too. He's very, very good at it. But when you look at his notebook, it's kind of amazing because there's so many different things. There just was one thing. There's like something would come to his brain and he'd write it down or he'd draw hmm. it or something. So I think it's from that where, and yes, there's been talk about where does genius come from, and he's always one of the examples. That's a good question because he just seemed to have it. <laughs> Yeah, which is interesting. The way I'm imagining things like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory sort of (laughs) like 
random things going through mm-hmm. or another thought is like I'm seeing a Rue Goldberg's type of machine yes. in my head. Was that something else that Da Vinci had? Yes. And um, I, a lot of it really got ramped up when he went. He, he, he spent time in Florence, but then he went to Milan to work under Ludovico Sforza, who, who was part of the nobility there. And he would write these letters to Ludovico saying, I have all these wonderful machines. Now, yes, it could have been exaggeration in order to get a patron. Uh, but he actually would promise all these war machines that he was uh, uh, designing. Uh, he has a really interesting history with that, too. Because <laughs> he had an idea, and luckily no one ever, he never did it. I, I, I assumed he probably could have. The Arno River, which runs in Italy, of flooding Pisa, the city of Pisa. Like he said, you could divert the river and flood the city. Well, it never happened, thank God. <laughs> because so, what you find as you go along is a lot of his, for the time, a lot of his inventions aren't practical or they're very expensive and, and they're not willing to spend the money for them. Something like that. That's a permanent landmark change. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, th- I think this is something that's never gone away. War is a way to fund um, a lot of different inventions. Right. And so that, that was an avenue he used as part yes. of a way to get funding or get work, something like that. Right. Now, how many of these came to fruition? No one really knows. Um, but I think you're right. I think it was to in order to sort of be able to fund the, the other things. Because it's so funny because I think about when he's doing all this, He's also doing his art, you know, The Last Supper, The Mona Lisa. I mean, it just boggles the mind that he's doing all these projects. And, he, and, and you know, there are a lot of projects he didn't finish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, think, I think he would get wrapped up in other things and move on to other things. And that's just how people are sometimes. Yeah, he was a busybody. He, he had to, it sounds like he had to do this. Like, it's, it wasn't right. just like he had nothing better to do. It's that the way his head works he mm-hmm. had to work on something all the time yes that's a lot really a, a, a really um a curiosity about everything it seems um you see this with you know you talk about anatomy well as he became an artist as he became more of, of an established artist he was already an artist you, he was actually given permission to do dissections so during about 30 a 30 year time span he did 30 like dissections of humans he, he he got this so he and he would do minute ones he would like study the your your wrists the wrists you know and people and he would make these elaborate drawings and and some were correct or most of them were because he was actually looking at the stuff um he drew the first image of a, the lungs and he even understood even dissected a heart and he understood how the heart will ebb the flow of blood, but he didn't really understand circulation. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody did at the time. So he did all these things, and I think that's where a lot of his anat- anatomical stuff came from his art, too. Mm-hmm. And that's why he was so good at describing these things. Yeah, and just as like the hand is one of the most complicated parts of like the body and how the musculature works all that. So that's right. to be able, and that would definitely translate to his art to understand what it looks like underneath and all that's that how, and he got that's how granular he got you know and he also worked with light and, and shading and perspective and 
you know, there's so many things, different things going on, you know. And like I say, he never studied mathematics, but yet he did. He knew how geometry, you know, how to draw things. And, mm-hmm. and he actually, you, you, they think, you know, you, you, you say he could have been the first, like, mechanical drawer because he would exp- he would draw what were, like, exploded views of these machines so you could see all the internal parts. He almost, it's almost like he took what he learned from the anatomy and then just did it on some machine or something. It's, it's almost like computer animated design but a human perversion of it like using a CAD software to build up a car or yes. then take all the parts apart and see like oh yeah this is how it works and put together but we do that with software and technology and right. software engineers he was doing that kind of stuff with his head yes yeah so what what are some of these things that he's invented or had paper inventions of like <laughs> written out what are some of these things I'm excited well it's interesting because in one of his notebooks, he makes this statement. And one thing he did, he always was, the reason we don't, we didn't know, at the time, I don't think they knew, I think they knew Leonardo knew these things. But he wrote these all in these notebooks, which have their own history, which I'll delve on in a little bit. Um, but one of the things, you know, when he talks about these war machines that he would make, well, one of these things was a scythe chariot. And this is a very kind of a nasty weapon actually because you know how a scythe has blades so he would set the blades at the front say they would turn you'd have it's and the chair like a chariot so someone would sit um with a horse and as it moved the wheels would cause the he'd have like a crankshaft that would cause the scythe blades at the front to twirl now whether he ever built this thing i don't know but think about if you were running into a, if you had troops that were massed on a field and you had these chariots with these sights on it, you could just run them over, <laughs> basically. Yeah, it's not, it's on the wheels, but it go, like goes out in the front of the wheel. Like it's long enough to go that far. Like the wheels are in the back and the scythe blades are in the front and they're connected by these two crankshafts. Oh, okay. So as the wheels move, it turns the, it turns the front. I see. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, that does not sound fun for the horses either. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I was thinking, it was like I've you know I've seen like some arena movies where on the wheels they're like these juts that like cut people on the sides of them, but this is in front, like it's almost like a farm machine. Right. Yes. Yes. And then he had, uh, I was you know I, it, it wasn't all war machines, but some of the most interesting things seemed to be those because he would come up with these multi-barreled guns, so they almost look like a rake. You know, how you have different. Oh yeah. And you'd put cannon in each one, and then they would just fire in all different directions. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, um, the British Army, one of his inventions was a giant crossbow. Okay. He said it would throw a throw a thing a certain uh, throw a projectile a certain way a certain amount. Like similar to a ballista, almost. Yeah, think of a small crossbow, but this one was gigantic. Mm-hmm. And actually, the British Army built one to see if it would work. There's an interesting documentary called Leonardo's Dream Machines. And they, 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 they touch on two things, the glider, which we've talked about before, mm-hmm. and this giant crossbow. They sort of got it to work, but not really. It only threw it about 30 yards, this projectile. That's not and this really thing was good. huge. I mean, they, they built it. What they found is every time they would stretch it, it would break. And I don't know if they knew, thought Leonardo knew this or if he was still working on it, you know. Just writing down an idea that still had to be refined. Yeah, but it sounds like they they didn't 
know how to figure out tension to figure out what the limits of that were. And he knew because he knew all about pulleys and gears and all these different kind of lubrication systems you could use in, mm-hmm. in, in, in devices. And so the other one they did, it's interesting, was the glider. That worked. I mean, they built it like he had it on his paper with the same kind of you know uh, material. And it went up. I mean, yes, it didn't fly 100 miles, but it went up and it flew for a certain way and then it landed and we talked about that too. Um, it's funny because this has been happening. Um, he had been commissioned by the Ottoman Sultan, Bayezid II, to build a bridge. And so he drew these designs for it and gave it to the Sultan. The Sultan never built it because he thought it was impossible. Well, in 2019, people at MIT built a stone model of this bridge and said, oh, yeah, it could have... It could have withstood the force of the weight. It could have it could have stood wind shear and all this other stuff. And I'm thinking, was this guy kind of a futurist? Like none of his inventions were for that time, but we're finding that people could do them later? Yeah. It's very and odd. A bridge, it, that sounds funny because like bridges have been a thing for a long, long time. So he must have also designed a bridge that was so unique compared to different bridges that they're like. Well, he also had this idea of, and you think about this with pontoon bridges, he had the idea of movable bridges, and that was one of the things he'd say. He'd say, you know, we can ford this river. I'll just throw and, – and that's an old idea too. That's not new to Leonardo. Mm-hmm. Um, the Romans did it in France when they invaded Gaul. Julius Caesar had done it going back that far with, like, um, using logs. His whole thing, though, is, well, we can build them and then just move them. They're light. You can carry them. Mm-hmm. And so that's become kind of a thing too. So, um, but it's interesting, we talk about, were all these ideas original? I think we, we tend to think they were. Um, in 2017, the PBS series, Secrets of the Dead, the, the, they had an episode called Leonardo, the Man Who Saved Science, or something of that nature. Their argument was, well, this was actually, a lot of these things have been around for like many thousands, a thousand years before Leonardo wrote about through ancient manuscripts like Greek or Roman or uh, Islamic or Chinese. And so one of the examples they gave was the parachute because Leonardo is sometimes given the credit for inventing the parachute. It was actually designed originally by a man named Tacola about 70 years before. He in turn had copied it from a Muslim scholar (laughs) named named uh, Abbas ibn Furnas. And, um, but the thing is, they're conclu- they're, they're, it's kind of a catchy, it kind of catches you, because it says, was Leonardo a copycat? Well, their answer is no. What he did is he took a lot of ideas, and he never claimed a lot of these were his own ideas. Mm-hmm. Himself, he never claimed. A lot of them were, but he claimed, you know, he would claim that some of them weren't. He was just going on another tradition. And he actually mentions Tacola in a, um, some of his manuscripts, too. So he was aware of his work. And some of the, he was from Siena, and there was other engineers that lived in the, Italy was different at this point. It was all like city-states, so that's why Milan was fighting with Pisa and all this other good yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's all separate and all ideas, people, whoever ruled, all different people. So they had, they had to probably communicate differently and all right. that. And again, we talk about the diffusion of knowledge, and we've talked about it in this show. Mm-hmm. And this is no different. And you see it, uh, Islamic scholarship coming to the West, and it just gets 
which came from the ancient Greeks and kind of this sort of circular pattern. And of course, the Chinese have a lot of this stuff too, yeah. which we've talked about. And it's really, I mean, if we're, it makes me think of copyright. And these are technically like derivative works rather than like derivative rather than complete copies. Like right. they're putting their own spin on it adjusting it to different ways right. that's what it sounds like at least they're not complete copies right one thing you know give, using the parachute example but one thing they note is that what leonardo did is he actually worked a lot of the things were theoretical what leonardo did is he tried to make it practical he said how can you build this thing we'll make the you know we'll use canvas we'll make it waterproof we'll make it like bird's wings where they're waterproof mm-hmm and we'll use these kind of materials. I mean, he was the first one to talk about how do you actually build it. Yeah, and that's really important because you can, like, I'm just going to look at We have a table between us uh, where we record this podcast. And you could think, well, we could take a, we could draw this table, but that doesn't mean it's like a table made of stone. It's not <laughs> a table made of polyester or right. some other material. Right. Um, engineers also have to figure out what do we use to make this to make it work in terms of like if you're thinking of wings for like a or like a material for a parachute like right. is it going to be plastic is it going <laughs> to be cloth is it going to be made right. of the same stuff your jeans are made of like right that's all part of the engineering process so Lee, you're saying what leonardo's work has been doing is not just making adjustments but picking the material that makes these things and makes them work to make them a reality, yes. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, you see this, not just with Leonardo, but with other, like you said, with engineers, their job is to, you know, a lot of people can draw stuff, but you got to make it work. Mm-hmm. And that's usually where engineering comes in into play. So their conclusion was he wasn't a copycat, but he was almost a bridge between this th- these different cultures and this knowledge that, that had been around for a while. And I think, diffusion as we talk about people would just sort of come upon them when they read these manuscripts of other people it's uh really the transformation of imagination to reality right and people can say well you know the they didn't use parachutes then well we do now Mm -hmm. and the idea came from somewhere maybe and he even had this invention for like a car not not as we think not my not my hyundai elantras we know but like a, a an armored car, like it, it looked like it's really weird. If you ever get a chance, you can Google it or you can just look, get a, one of his notebooks and open it. But he had these really weird drawings. Sometimes you'd say, "What is that thing?" You know, the aerial screw, which we talked about with helicopters. Yep, that was one we talked about in flight. That's another one of his inventions that they don't know if it really would have worked because of the weight and stuff. But that's you know, but yeah, it's it is it is interesting. Um, this car that he made uh, but when, when they found that if you built it to the spef- specifications of the drawings it wouldn't be able to move forward and so but then with him you don't know if it's a fail because he did this with other things because he didn't want he did his whole thing was he didn't want unauthorized people to look at some of this stuff oh. he was kind of secretive about it. okay so they think maybe he would technically or, or intentionally put errors in some of his things. So if you built it yourself, it wouldn't work. Yeah, you'd have to specifically talk with him or have someone that is an equal try to fill in the hole. 
Yes. And, and you know, we talk about the war machines, and, and a lot of them were never made. So, but he certainly had a vivid imagination when it came to these things. But he has this interesting quote in one of his notebooks, which I wanted to read, because in one of our early, early episodes, we had talked about a submersible. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so there's no drawing that goes with this quote. It's just sort of there. But then I'm thinking, I wonder if this is what he was talking about. He says, how by means of a certain machine, many people may stay some time underwater. How and why I do not describe my method of remaining underwater or how long I can stay without eating. And I do not publish or divulge these by reasons of the evil nature of men who would use them as a means of destruction at the bottom of the sea by sending ships to the bottom and sinking them together with the men in them. And although I will impart others, there is no danger in them because the mouth of the, whole, mouth of the tube by which you breathe is above the water supported on bags of corks. So it's almost like he doesn't want some people to have this knowledge but he'll give you some of it that you can use peacefully. But then I'm right. I wrote a, a, a note to myself, submersible question mark. Is that what he's talking about? I mean, it certainly sounds like it or scuba diving similarly. And it's, it's interesting you say scuba diving because one of his drawings was a, was a plan for a suit, which he said would be used to go under the water to destroy enemy ships. Now, remember... The submersible, the turtle that we talked about, that was kind of its big selling point, too. Mm -hmm. And that you could, and so what happened is, and two, the BBC had done a documentary. So, of course, they, they couldn't resist. They had to do, try to redo a suit like he would have had. So they actually constructed a suit and they had hooked a, a tube attached to the back of the helmet and they used a float of cork or wood. Now, remember, he talks about a float of corks. Yep. And uh, there was a team of scuba divers that tested it out, and it worked. And they said it, it's sort of a workable precursor to a modern diving suit. So I don't know if he's talking about that in his quote. But then he says the bottom of the sea, which I don't know if you, I suppose you could take a diving suit and go to the bottom. Yeah, but maybe he didn't know about water pressure on the bottom of the sea because well, that, that's a huge issue. Right, and that's funny because he probably didn't. Mm. I don't think they did. But he had. But it's funny that they have these ideas. The the guy who invented the turtle, he had the same idea. Let's use this to attach, you know, explosives on the bottom of ships, and then we'll just float away, and no one will ever notice us. Mm-hmm. And I think you see that here. But it is funny how they built the suit, and it worked. I mean, <laughs> you think something that was you know fourteen ninety five you know invented, and now they're t- seeing now that it would have worked, and. Uh, but I think you're right about the pressure. He wouldn't have known about that. So if you would have sent someone down, they probably would have perished because of the pressure. You wouldn't have known that. Yeah, maybe get the bins pretty quickly. Yeah, because he had talked. Venice was a thing. You know, he had talked about building dikes, these movable dikes in, in Venice to protect the city from attack. So he, again, with the water. But I, I don't think he had, would have really known the pressure unless someone actually went down there. Yeah, I mean... It's it's still interesting the amount of imagination, the creativity that he has without, you know, something a proof of concept at all. Like there's not right. a there wouldn't wasn't a thing like that before. Like right. we we talk about inventing something now, and a lot of the times the inventions we see 
are all derivative of some sort to something mm-hmm. else, some other concept or s- right. a slight change. But that sounds very original. Um, so he had a he had his derivatives, of course, but yes. then there are things like this that are just like no one else had even <laughs> thought of that sort of thing. Right? How do you? Because you have to put it in the context. I mean, we think of it. And, well, yeah, sure. Well, that's because we were, we're living in a modern time where we have submarines. Mm-hmm. We we know there's pressure in the ocean. Remember, they learned about it in flight, sort of the hard way, when they would take a balloon up too far, and then they would start, you know, passing out and getting headaches. And well, that's because of the pressure. And then you'd get the same thing under this under the water. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that that was interesting that. Um, he had come up with that concept as well. It just seems the more you dig into these notebooks, the more you see all these modern precursors of a lot of things. Um, and his car, you know, I was talking about this car that he, well, not car, but this vehicle that he had invented. And, and and that's another one where he put that air in it. And I just wonder how many other things that had airs in it if he would have tried to copy it. Yeah. And so, so you always know I like talking about, like, how did people react? What What's the... What was the near future like after seeing Da Vinci, his inventions? So what was well, what people like? The problem that? is I don't think some scholars think it didn't really have much impact on science at the time and even a little later because he never really shared anything. And um, his notebooks were bequeathed to his heir, who was also his apprentice, when he died in 1519. Remember, he died in France. That's how they got the Mona Lisa, which is another episode. If you've never heard it, go back and hear it. It's yeah, back in season one, I think. Back in season one, we talk about seeing the Mona Lisa. And like, what's it doing in France? Well, because the last few years, you know, his life was spent in France. And so um, the notebooks are given to his heir, Francesco Melzi. And he there's like all these loose pages. It's not really a notebook like you'd think of. Well, he was supposed to publish them. I don't think he knows what to do with them, so he just sits with them. Then he dies in like 15, he died like 50 years after Leonardo. Well, his son gets them. He sends them to another guy to publish. So they're all over the place. They Then finally there's this renewed interest, so he tries to get back some of the manuscripts to publish himself. And they're sort of scattered. And it isn't until later... Um, in fact, there's something called the Codex Atlanticus, which is like one of the biggest groupings of, of where we get a lot of this information. But there's all these different, and they're all, they all go to these different places. Some go to the British Library, some go here, some go there. Some go in private collection. Bill Gates owns a copy of one of them called the Codex Leicester, and it's, uh, it, he, it goes on display in one city a year. So... Because of the dispersal, I think a lot of this knowledge sort of got lost, and it wasn't until mm-hmm. later. In the 1950s, someone discovered that Leonardo had, had drawn plans for an automaton in one of them, another thing we talked about, that was actually worked. I mean, they, they built it. It, used, it was a knight. It was called Leonardo's Robot, and they used pulleys and gears, and the thing worked. <laughs> and so... so it, New things are being discovered because when you look into the notebooks, you find different things. And it just it amazes me how someone could have just sat and imagined a lot of this. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see how his head works. And just, you know, we ask questions of who, which historical figure you'd want to interview. He sounds like a fun guy yes. to interview because there'd be 
so much going on. And it on didn't help that he invented his own shorthand. So he wrote, and he wrote from right to left in sort of this mirror script that you had to hold up to a mirror to see. You know, he almost sounds like an alchemist. Remember, the alchemist wrote in all these different... Um, some have suggested Leonardo was an alchemist. There's no, there's no proof of that. Some people thought Verrocchio was an alchemist and that maybe he learned some of this secret coding from him. But he, that was why it made it so hard to translate his stuff too because he wrote it in a mirror script and in shorthand that only he knew. That's honestly... It, that's, I, there's a lot of games and lore to say that are like, Leonardo da Vinci was like the secretive guy, part of this agent, like Stark agency, because he had right. the, the, that t- that type of stuff. That well, the Da Vinci like code. It. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, I was trying to avoid that, but yeah. I mean, he sounds incredible, secretive, and just kind of, in, I, I said incredible already. I'm running out of synonyms. It's just, he sounds amazing. It, it is. I think he is. I mean, yes, he was a human being, but then you think, how did he just know all this stuff? It, it it is amazing. Yeah. Whether it was derivative or not, I mean, someone, I mean, he came up with more ideas to implement these things. So I guess he was part of a tradition, but he also was original. Yeah. And so speaking of tradition and originality, <laughs> Scott, where are we going to be cruising through next? Well, I thought next time, Xander, uh, go back to World War II. We okay. haven't been there for a while. I thought I'd talk about the Tuskegee Airmen, speaking of original and contributions they made that somehow sometimes for a while got lost but are coming back all right we'll look forward to that next time oh hey scott did you know that listeners can actually contact us now they can how can they do that yeah they can just email us at um history at mykpl.info great also like and subscribe on any of the platforms you find this podcast